0: This month commemorates the 500th anniversary of the Christian Reformation, the famous split between Catholics and Protestants over a variety of theological issues, one of them being grace. It is on this backdrop that Pastor Danielle and Rabbi Ari discuss the differing views that Christians and Jews have and share the beauty of finding grace in everything. 95 Theses, Gym Memberships,
1: and Last Minute Forgiveness this week on The Rabbi and a Pastor Walked In. Week we've been reminded of the 500th anniversary of the 95 theses that Martin Luther nailed to a door a long time ago um, in the separation between the Catholic Church and then start of one of the many persons um, starting the Protestant movement protesting some of those rules of the Catholic Church. And as the 500, 500th anniversary has been celebrated, NPR tweeted out each of the 95 theses one at a time. And uh, people have been talking about it this week. And even Catholics and Protestants had a, a sort of reconciliation service together this week talking about... Um, even celebrating the Reformation, and I think the the good that's come out of that for both um, expressions of Christian faith. So in all of that, you thought that this week we should have an interesting conversation about?
0: Well, the concept of Martin Luther was that he was reacting to the selling of indulgences, which were the... The way you could buy your way into heaven, basically, if you could, if you had enough money, you could give it to some priest who would say, "Okay, fine, whatever you've done in the past, who cares?" And he was outraged by that. But also, mm-hmm. he did not believe that someone would get into heaven by means of their deeds, good right. deeds. Right. He said you couldn't get in by uh, buying your way in, and you couldn't earn your way into right. heaven. And uh, and that's the Jewish approach approach to all of this is that you only really get into heaven by means of what you do that is we are not judged by means of what we think we're mm-hmm. only judged on what we actually end up doing so if i say gee i'd like to be a good person today i think i ought to exercise today and we never get off the couch well that doesn't really do any good right. your intention right. your thought doesn't really matter
1: the intention does matter but it's the first of the steps right the not- intention
0: doesn't matter at all if it doesn't lead to any what's action what's
1: that word in, in hebrew for intention is it kavana? What's governor? The, okay, so, but isn't the intention is like the first step? Like if you intend towards it, that's your first step. It's not where you stop.
0: I know a lot of people that have bought gym memberships, <laughs> sure. intending their Kavanaugh is good and pure
1: right, of to
0: exercise, and they don't.
1: But they might be at least one step further than you know, the person not who never lose bought any the gym. or get
0: any more muscles by thinking about it. <laughs>
1: no, but but at least they bought it, <laughs> right? <That's> wonderful. <laughs> but compared that's the to the action, person, that's an
0: action. It is
1: an action, but yeah. in, p- compared to the person that just only thinks about it, that's right? right? So there's steps along the way. It's not. It's the problem. Isn't. The intention, the problem is if it stops at the intention.
0: That's right. If it doesn't, if intention doesn't ever turn into action, then it doesn't really matter.
1: Right. And literally
0: the word matter in English, if it doesn't turn into action... It is not something that deals with matter. Right. And therefore, it does not matter Matter. at all.
1: (laughs) Right. I mean, you could say, a a similar example would be, well, I intended to keep my marriage (laughs) vows. Well, that's not good enough. (laughs)
0: Well, the other other part of that is, let's just say somebody's having a bad time in their marriage and they think all the time about adultery or this person or that person or or leaving or whatever, but they never do it. Mm -hmm. And they live their life and their spouse never knows it then they haven't committed adultery as far as we're concerned.
1: Right, right, right. And and Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, if anyone has even thought about adultery in his heart, it's as though that he has done it. Right. And I think um, in Christianity, our, our understanding, a common understanding that verse, uh, and Jimmy Carter famously got into trouble with right. this, you know, verse went into his Playboy <laughs> interview, which also should have been a red flag at some point. <laughs> but um, but the the idea is that you guard your thoughts as and your heart as well as your action that where your where your heart is your your action follows so it's not so much that obviously if if i think if you'd ask any spouse or partner out there would you rather your your spouse think about it or do it you know you'd much rather have them have thought about it than done it that it is different and yet um you would also like to have to maybe be in a space where they're content and joyful enough to not think about it right like the other things are being sorted through so um
0: that's exactly sorted right. through sorted because through, right. whenever you have a question, mm-hmm. you have to consider a whole bunch of things. Right. You've got to think of this suspect and this possibility and this theory. Right. And then you look at the evidence and then you make your choice. Right. And being held accountable
1: mm-hmm. for any
0: of those intermediate thoughts. Right. Doesn't make any sense to us.
1: Mm-hmm. hmm I think. Have you heard about the um, the bleeding Pharisees in the first century period? So, I think it's Josephus that refers to them a bit. Um, But it's this: there was a very strict sect um, within the Pharisee community, within the sect, a, a very strict following group that strove so much to make sure that their eyes didn't look upon anything impure, impure that they kind of walked around with some blinders and um, then ran into lots of things <laughs> so they were known the bleeding birds because they were always running Knocking into something because in. they were right. you know making sure that their eyes didn't look upon anything that would cause them to sin I think that idea of guarding one's heart or one's thoughts you know it, it can come from a, a good intention right a good covenant, like where you intend to but it can also lead to a crazy place where then you know you you don't allow yourself out into the world, you don't um, try to negotiate and navigate those hard times where you you have to make those difficult decisions, you have to choose to walk away. Um, even I'm reminded there's um, a, a little elementary school kid in my life right now who had to make a hard decision on the playground of of either doing something that was going to sort of harm and humiliate another kid. Um, but in In his refusal to do that to this other child, then he himself was going to be kicked out of the group, right? But all of this stuff. So he's like, "I'm not going to do that to this kid," but then he gets kicked out of the group too, and he feels the ostracization too. If we just always um, refuse to place our children in those situations, then they can't learn those lessons that they need to learn in first and second and third grade of how to stand up for somebody, how to stand up for the right thing, how to deal with a little bit of rejection, because you're still in the place and you're still the person you want to be at the end of the day um, if you're always trying to remove yourself from the, all of those temptations, right? So I really think
0: that your analogy of the bleeding Pharisees walking around with blinders, right, banging into things is right. really, really true. You need to vaccinate right. people. Right. And by vaccinating, you give them a little bit of the virus. Right, right. And that, you have to introduce yeah. sex yeah. education because otherwise they won't even know if they're doing it. <laughs> right. And so... Right. Uh, right. Right, so yes, everything that you talk about, Mm -hmm. everything that you allow yourself to think about could lead you to the wrong action. But then again, if you don't consider it, then you won't know why you're not doing it.
1: Right, and you have to have some sort of capacity for moderating your own intention, moderating your own um, proclivities and your own inclinations. I call them moral
0: muscles. Right, Because in order to have muscles that work and train and are strong, you have to work and train... and strengthen mm-hmm, them mm-hmm. and the same thing goes with your morals and your values you have to
1: test them you
0: have to well i don't want to spot test them but you have right. to learn about them and you gotta right. you gotta be put in a situation or at least put in a theoretical situation so you can anticipate what you might do and a, a lot of uh, what i do in uh prenuptial counseling mm-hmm. uh premarital counseling is to uh, is to have people go through a lot of these examples mm. and think about things mm-hmm. so they know what they might do right. or what they might consider and one of the things that they never ever really think about is like would they take their feeble parents to live with them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know they just make, it's not the kind of thing that comes up in right. romance right an right <laughs> and right. so but i i have a whole section of anti romantic things in there i did i, I call them anti romantic just to make them real to them yeah. and and they have to Think about: Would they do this? Would they do that? Would they? Right. How would they behave in this kind of situation right. or that kind of situation? Right. Yeah, absolutely. one of which is um, putting these three things together: honesty, monogamy, and fidelity. Mm. Mm-hmm. That is, should you be honest about your monogamy? Should you commit to monogamy? Would you mm-hmm. fidelity mm-hmm. break up the marriage immediately? Mm-hmm. And I have them think about all of those things, mm. even when they're just getting around to it.
1: Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. the biggest
0: thing I think is really a, a different between. Uh, Christianity and Judaism is when you bring up grace. Mm. And that all, the extreme of that is Calvinism,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which is that you're already saved or not.
1: Mm-hmm. Right, you're predestined <laughs> to it. There's nothing you yeah. can do. Right.
0: So what good is religion? <laughs>
1: right.
0: What good is values training? What good is any kind of ethical training? What, why by our parents just let mm-hmm. your kids go out and be, be a weed? They're already saved or they're not.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so uh, that's just not the way I can operate as a human being, and, and that's just not the reality in which I live.
1: Yeah, and I think that's an—I'm not a Calvinist, but I think that that's an oversimplification of the Calvinist point of view. So for any Calvinist listening, we we'll just let them know that we recognize there's more in it than, than just a— I only went
0: to Calvinist Sunday school twice. <laughs> yeah. No, no, Well, my right. best friend growing up was a Presbyterian, and mm-hmm. his father taught the Presbyterian— uh, uh, religious school, and so he came to my school, and I went to his school a couple of times and
1: sure they didn
0: 't focus on that they just talked told bible
1: stories <laughs> right right right, yeah, and there 's a lot about um, you know right living and all yeah. of that stuff that's there 's an expectation and, and holiness and all of those other things so it 's not only the you know predestination, conversation and all of that um, when when I think about all of these um, this conversation between grace and law, obviously this is something that comes up right away in my upbringing of the Lutheran church. And even I remember as a kid asking my mom why we went to the Lutheran church and not the Catholic church. Cause the Catholic church was one block closer. So the walk was a little shorter <laughs> and we had to walk two blocks to get to oh, the Lutheran no. church. Oh, I know. Could you believe it? Um, and, and also one of my close friends went to the Catholic church. So I kind of wanted to go and hang out with her over there. And my mom told me it was because of the grace. That was her answer. Uh, well, why she meant what? We go to the Lutheran Church because of the grace, and I was like, "What do you mean because of the grace?" and and it was a Lutheran answer, right? The it was a Martin Luther answer. We're going because, in her framework, growing up, like. Those Catholics believe. you should not say it with such pejorative nature, but it was more like they believe that they have to act and and pray and do a particular thing, and that there's particular right. things that are required, whether it's um, saying the rosary or so many Our Fathers or going to confession and these different sacraments. That this is how you earn your way to make yourself right with God was the the
0: I see. the view. So there, James. Christians.
1: Right, right. Except you know, for there was a lot of liturgy and practice in that. Right, right. When the Lutherans had liturgy too, um, but we didn't have to do it. Right? <laughs> you could if you wanted. Um, and so there it was. You know, you are saved by grace. That. No matter what you've done, God loves you. Um, no matter no one is far outside of God's reach. Um, God could bring anyone in and close, even on their deathbed, those last three minutes of breath. Um, if you ask for forgiveness, you know God will redeem and, and give you that grace in that moment. I gotta say, there's
0: nothing that drives Jews crazier. Than that whole concept. Really, last minute forgiveness. Yeah, now, sure. I think it's fine that somebody should say, "I've really been a lousy person my whole life, and I mm-hmm. really apologize." And then they <laughs> and then dead. That's fine, right? You know, but you know, <laughs> yeah. You know, would you hire somebody uh, in, on those credentials?
1: Well, and no, of course not. And it seems to me that then the question is I've been a serial banking, killer
0: all my life, but now I want to be a pastor. And I, just right. this last minute, would you forgive me and take me on? Right. No. <laughs> right. We're going to have to see some life that's right. lived
1: first. Right. Yeah. I mean, that redemption is possible. And for Christians, redemption and new life, being a new life and, you know, being new, a new creation in Jesus is possible. All of that's um, a hope that we hold, right? It's part of the resurrection hope.
0: So, you know, right. there are a lot of Lutheran churches named Grace, and I guess that's part of it, Grace sure. Lutheran Church. Um, the very first time that Grace is used in the Bible is Noah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the fun part about that is that Noah is Noah in Hebrew, mm-hmm. and his name backwards is Chain, which is Grace. Mm-hmm. And so at the very uh, end of that first Torah portion, uh, it's chap- like verse 3 or so, four it's in chapter 6 of Genesis, it says that God wanted to destroy the world. Then it says, Venoah that noah found grace in god's eyes
1: mm-hmm.
0: and so uh and so it wasn't so that because noah was so great it's just because god liked him right but and then it goes on to you know to compare noah to abraham our tradition does mm-hmm. it was because you know, noah walked with god abraham walked before god does that indicate anything? Then it says Noah was righteous in his generations. Right, But Which other that's not generations, much, <laughs> because the whole generation his had to be destroyed. Horrible. <laughs> 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 right. so, but then they say, is it harder to be righteous in a generation of mm-hmm. righteous or a generation of mm-hmm. evil? Mm-hmm. So if he were the only righteous person in a generation of evil people, that must have been super righteous, because how could he have possibly maintained it when everybody else was so bad?
1: Except for then, the first thing he does afterwards is he has a barbecue, right? Makes sacrifice, and then he gets drunk and naked. (laughs) So, so there's all these. Honest
0: to goodness, if I had just lived through (laughs) what he had just lived through, I would probably. And the thing is, you know, it doesn't. It's not instantaneous. No, he had to get off the boat, find a grape,
1: plant it, (laughs) plant it, it. wait for the vine. How long
0: did that take? And then, I mean, so it's not like an instantaneous. You know, I just came back from the Holocaust. I have a drink. You know. (laughs) But, but I think still, Christians get
1: really nervous when we start making holocaust jokes. I know hard. I know, but still you know that's uh,
0: there was a holocaust the whole world was right destroyed. no, I know, and yeah. so you know i can I can see why anybody who lived there and and had seen it and experienced it and had a heart sure. at all sure would yeah. have had that kind of pain in his heart and want to just relax a in it but
1: and and I think too then in in terms of noah's righteousness and and grace and all that, one of the things that we start to see. Over and again, then, of the subsequent people that God will pick, right, whether it's Abraham um, or Moses, and then following um, David and others, is that often, and then for me, of course, in Jesus, that we are looking for somebody that will intercede, on behalf of the people with God. And and the role of the prophet is also as an intercessor. And Noah doesn't intercede, right? So God's like, hey, the world's wicked and terrible. I'm going to destroy it. And Noah's like, how big a boat do you want? That's right. (laughs) Right? Whereas God goes to Abraham and says, Sodom and Gomorrah, wicked and terrible and awful. I'm going to destroy it. How can the
0: judge of the whole world not do justice? Right.
1: How for the sake of five.
0: So if you want to know why Jews ask questions like that, we're all learning from Abraham.
1: We've learned from Abraham and Moses the same, Right. right? Right. Moses, step aside. Don't worry. I'll keep the covenant through you now, even though he's not a descendant. Do you know okay, what
0: the peoples of the world are going to say. Right. What's you your brought him out in the right. wilderness just were, to kill him. You were too
1: weak to what carry the males. Right. <laughs> Think about your rep.
0: <laughs> Street cred. What will they say about Desert you? Desert cred. Yeah. Right. Exactly.
1: So in, in all of these examples, and of course for Christians, ultimately in the person of Jesus, we have the ultimate intercessor, right? Who's interceding for us um, with God. That that in all of that, we're looking for an intercessor. So back to that point. But we're of, not
0: looking for intercessors. No. Not at all, ever.
1: No. As a matter
0: of fact, it's, it's kind of considered going down the absolute wrong path.
1: It, yes.
0: I'll let him talk to God.
1: Right, it's like
0: this this is a very stupid joke but i have to put it in here
1: just
0: which is this guy who did not believe anything jewish Mm. he was a jewish guy didn't ever do it and one day uh, a guy walks in sees him in the synagogue he says what are you doing in a synagogue he says well you know goldberg talks to god and i come to talk to goldberg so right right that's about the closest you get to interceding (laughs) except
1: biblically there's quite a long like in the biblical narrative a very long history of interceding
0: that's right well people look fetching complaining about this that and the other to god to god right but it's not that you need an intercessor no 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 so jeremiah does that i mean the the rabbis say jonah didn't prophecy very long why because he only had the honor of the son that Mm -hmm. is israel in mind when he went to to uh, Nineveh. Well,
1: and this is also Mark, back to Martin Luther. This is right. Martin Luther's point, right? That we don't need the priests to intercede right. for us. We can go directly to God ourselves. That's right. And Martin Luther was, um, was deeply concerned about that aspect of... Um, Christian practice um, within the Catholic Church and then moving forward to Protestant practice was sort of stripping away all those aspects of of priesthood and practice, right? So in the Lutheran Church and the Protestant Church, we didn't have priests. We'd have pastors or reverends or ministers, and they were permitted to marry and all these sort of minimalizing that um, the wall that had come between the priesthood and the people.
0: Um, Well, there are no priests in the New Testament. I mean, there are Jewish priests who are officiating at sacrifices but you don't have any body setting up any type of intercessory priestly role otherwise
1: no i mean even in
0: the letters no right
1: and in the first century though we while the temple still stood there is a priest right there's a high priest right
0: right but that's that's jewish ritual stuff it's not right prayer stuff in no, it's not, kind of but way.
1: except for Yom Kippur, right? The Day of Atonement, then this one representative of the people of God goes in for the people of God and has that representative sort of intercessory. Yeah. But there's like an intercessory moment there. But once the temple is destroyed, we don't have any of that anymore, right? So those those things go away.
0: You know, we don't we we don't even we don't consider it to be intercessory. Right. And uh, and and even though the technical term for someone who leads a service is shaliach Tsibor, which means a representative of the public. Mm-hmm. So it's like the mm-hmm. ambassador. The message, right. Right. And so the person should be somebody whose voice and competence in mm-hmm. leading a service will inspire others, but they're basically presenting their yes. case to God on behalf of the community, but only as an ambassador, right. not right. as an intercessor, not as anybody who's uh, more uh, capable. And since anybody mm-hmm. in the congregation mm-hmm. could get up and do it again um it's really kind of interesting one of the things that actually happened to american judaism is that it got more christian
1: Mm -hmm. not in theology or anything but in style yeah
0: yeah then there you go deeds again Mm -hmm. because uh in the more traditional the congregation you walk into the less likely you are to see a rabbi leading the service Mm -hmm. at least not a rabbi hired by the congregation there are more rabbis in traditional congregations hmm. but they don't work as rabbis hmm. they work as teachers and scholars and mm-hmm. other types of things mm-hmm. or even business people they just got the education but in a liberal congregation it's really really hard to break the mold of the rabbi acting as a priest right and standing in front right. of the congregation right. and doing all this stuff and the people it, it, it my entire rabbinate has been to try to encourage jews to do it by themselves, mm-hmm. but. It's really, really hard. Mm-hmm. And you have mm-hmm. to do things over and over and over right. again just to let people know that they can stand up there and that they are the ones who can do it. That they can do it themselves.
1: Right. Yeah. And also true for me in my practice, like for early on um, in baptizing, um, sometimes I would, you know, we would do ritual immersion, baptize for, for a confession of faith and, and, um, conversion. And sometimes we'd do it with kids and the kids that would, you know, decide, like, I want to be baptized. I want to show everybody that I'm on God's team, that this is my family, like all these kinds of things. I would always get the parent into the water with me. Because I never, I I kept thinking, this is not my moment with this kid. This is the parent's moment with this kid. They're the pastor of this child. And even though this kid looks at me and calls me pastor and has me in their life, 20 years from now, chances are I'm not going to know this child, but they're still going to know their parent. And I want them to be in the water with their parent. So I always had the parent come in with me, or another, you know, if if the child didn't have a parent, but another beloved adult in their life, and then together I would invite that parent to with me um, say the liturgy and participate in the baptism. Cool. Because we have very much um, there's in the New Testament we talk about a priesthood of all believers that we're all called to be in the priesthood of all believers, and so all of us together are are invited into these sacraments and i think that's part of what martin luther was also doing was listen we have this this concept of not a hierarchy in the early christian church but instead of something that's very much all of you go into the world make talmudim make disciples teaching them to obey everything i've commanded you to the end of matthew chapter 28 and have them all do mikvah do ritual immersion do baptism and surely I'll be with you from the end of the age. Like, But this is to given to God's people. And so even when we do communion and other sacraments, I'm always trying to get everybody to say it to each other. And there's something very powerful. So, you know, for us in the practice of communion, you know, this is the body of Christ given for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. Um, when When those words don't just come out of the pastor or the priest's mouth, but when they come out of your mouth and they, or they come out of, the mouth of your child to you or they come out of your mouth to your child there's so much intimacy and all of the the context of relationship is part of there and it's 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 um it's a very sweet time so in our practice at not just at our church spark but also in our non-denominational practice that's not uncommon
0: i uh at bar mitzvahs i uh instead of me doing a blessing of the bar mitzvah Mm -hmm. i had the parents do it Mm -hmm. uh, or whatever adult was there and um and because it's not my job to bless them. I mean, right. the, there's, a bl- there's a blessing for the bar bat mitzvah in the prayer book that's done on behalf of the congregation for the kid. But, and I read it because I'm leading sure. the service. But otherwise, it could be done by anybody. But the one of the most meaningful occasion to be the parent's blessing right. the child. Right. And, uh, and they had to write it in the form of a blessing or a prayer and not in the form of a eulogy, which is like nice. my son. You know, go likes to play soccer and he does this and he does right. that. No, 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 right, no, right, no, no, right, no.
1: right, right.
0: <laughs> Uh, and, and it was really hard for parents to write in those kind of terms, because mm-hmm. all they ever heard really is eulogies and tributes.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and mm. to write actually a blessing.
1: That's lovely.
0: Was uh, was an interesting occasion for them.
1: Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. So back to grace. And, um, you know, can you can you earn your way in? We have a big, healthy debate on this um, within Christianity and Part of it comes specifically from our text. We have passages like in Ephesians chapter 2 that say things like, um, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not by works that no one can boast, for we're God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, (laughs) which God prepared us in advance to do. So even in this one letter, we have this, by grace you've been saved so that you can do these good works. And... Um, for me then nothing that I do um, earns my way into heaven, gets me to heaven gets um, gets God to look upon me or or save me or any of those things. all of those things happen just because God loves us and cares for us and um, and wants to be with us
0: until God burns us in the end.
1: <laughs> well mm, not no <laughs> not all of us. <laughs> not all. I know, or, but, it... but I mean, but within Christianity too, you have like a lot of variety of beliefs as to what's going to happen in the end. And um, there's a lot of history behind all that, 2,000 years of history of those beliefs. It's not just um, whether it's universalism or predestination or all of these different kinds of things that we think about. These are conversations Christians have been having for 2,000 years. And I'm sure we'll have for another 2,000 years because it's all just imaginative presupposition until we all get there. <laughs> so whatever anyone's going to, for me, I don't need to die on a hill for something that I don't know will or happen the way that I imagine it, um, nor do I have any control or influence over. What, what for me the narrative works is that when God rescued Israel out of Egypt, God rescued them and redeemed them, not because they were the most numerous, not because they're most impressive, but just because God loved them. That was it. And because God was being faithful to God's promises. That was all. Now, once they're rescued and redeemed, now in response to that rescue and love and redemption and salvation effort on God's behalf, God invites the people of Israel into a, a marriage contract, right? A covenant with him at Sinai. And their response is it's, it's the very first lines I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt, right? <laughs> I'm the God that just did this thing for you and rescued you and redeemed you and saved you. Do you want to be mine? Right, And then it's, okay, so don't have any other gods before me. Be faithful. And Israel's response, the people of God get to respond to God's love they can, and God's rescue and redemption, right? And it's still, I mean, it's... And
0: you know what the answer is?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Na'ase v'nishma. Yes. We'll do, we'll do it, it and, and we'll then we'll hear it.
1: Right? They do it so do before it they hear it. Right. right? Which is so beautiful. Like they already know the character of God. They don't need to know anything more. They know they've been rescued. Whatever you ask us to do, we'll do. Like, and it's a little bit of like, I'm so in love with you. You can imagine like newlyweds on their very first day, like, I'll just say anything. Or you could sneak up and make pancakes for me every morning. Yes, I'll do it. Whatever those things. I'm just, you know, <laughs> people in those moods of that, that euphoric love state, they say yes. And so the the 10... And get
0: themselves in such trouble. Such trouble.
1: trouble. But the, the 10 words, right? These this, the Ten Commandments, the Sinaitic Covenant, this is the place of where God invites the people of Israel after he's saved them. It's all grace. God's already rescued them. They're already saved. They've already been rescued and redeemed. He doesn't sit there and say, now, if you'll do all of these things on this list, I won't send you back, or I will keep saving you, or whatever. It's I'm already this person. I'm already this. Cre- I'm already this character in your life. These are my characteristics. I rescue. I redeem. I love because I'm faithful. Um, ever, you know, the covenant of love to a thousand generations and all of these types of things. Now, what's your response to that? We will do and we will hear. Like we're, we're in. We say Israel says I do. So for me, looking forward, then as that part of that narrative piece, and this is an anchor for me, and as how I view the rest of my biblical story that God is always giving me grace and mercy and chesed, right? Everlasting, loving kindness, covenantal faithfulness. And the question is, how do I want to respond to that? Do I want to respond through obedience and love because that gives me life? Um, great, right? The choice before me, Moses says, is very clear. Choose life or death. Please choose life. Please God, let them choose life. And everything after that is just that question of choosing life. And I love that. It's not about earning my way. It's not about earning my salvation or rescue from the bondage of Egypt, my bondage of sin and slavery. All of that's been done. And I see that too in the person of Jesus. It's not like if I um, accept Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, believe in my heart that God raised from the dead, and then obey everything he taught me, that all of a sudden he will then decide to die on the cross to save me from my sins and rise again. Hmm. That's already happened. So for me, everything now is just my my chosen response, and where I find life is in the obedience, um, and it's in doing the shema, right? Hear, o Israel, the Lord is your God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. All your soul, but So You
0: said in doing. Yes. And so, and so that's the that's the essential part to me, uh, which is that. You know, we've talked about mm-hmm. this a thousand times that I don't judge religions by what they believe. Right. I only judge them by what they, the people who say they are them right.
1: do. Right.
0: If they do stuff that's good, that's great. If they do stuff that's bad, that's bad. And I don't care what they believe because I can't judge you. <laughs> right. There are a whole lot of religions out there, and there are whole lots of variations of each religion.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And the same thing goes with politics. And I don't really care what you think. I only right. care what you vote for. You know what you do.
1: What are you doing? What yeah. are you
0: doing? If you treat people well, if you make leave the world a better place than when you found it, okay, right. then you're a true right. religion. And otherwise, psh, the heck with you.
1: Right. Um, even uh, this week with the Mueller indictments, right, <laughs> and people getting all worked up and politics, then well, you know, Podesta too, and everything else. And and my thought is, anyone who's doing anything criminal, that's the problem. I don't care what party they're a part no. of. I don't care who they voted for. If there's a problem on any side of the aisle or a third problem, get it all. Let's clean it all up. Because what we're trying to do here is figure out how to live, for me in my life, how to live in such a way that loves my neighbor. And even if my neighbor is doesn't think the same way that I think, even if some of their views are abhorrent. To me, I still have to figure out a way to live ethically, to love God, to love my neighbor. And for the teachings of Jesus, I also have to figure out a way to love my enemy. Um, and it's in those things that, that there's hope for me in trying to see some of the world change. But when I start to point fingers at just one side and not at the behavior itself, at what somebody's actually done, right? right? Even if it's perceived as somebody, quote, unquote, from my own team, whether it's Christian or or more of a political leaning or whatever it is, then I've lost my way, right? We have to go back to what is it? Do we believe? So for me, it starts with belief, but then it it goes to, but do you do it?
0: That's right. Because
1: I'm not very interested in somebody who is a Christian in name only.
0: I, I, I kind of C I N kind O, of, I, I, I right?
1: Yeah, something like this, right? <laughs> I I want somebody who understands the teachings of Jesus and is seeking and striving with failing every day. Um, to live those out, right, and and as long as we're wrestling and moving towards that end of loving God, loving our neighbor, loving our enemy, then I'm I'm on board. And even somebody recently, they they tried to. I was at an event and I had done some teaching and this person afterwards came up to me and said, You know, the the Bible says, Jesus says, Call no man rabbi, right? And no man father. So, you know, what's the problem? And I it's like, well, you know, listen I'm a father
0: and a rabbi. Oh, right,
1: right. You are. So so I said, Well, really what I think he's talking about is that we're not we're not sticking somebody in the authority in the place of God that belongs in him. and this person said to me, Well, see then, don't you think that the Catholics have really gone off the rails? I mean, they call somebody father and priest. And I said, you know, here's the problem. Um we can have an argument over that and we can decide what's your preferred terminology for anything, but I'm too busy trying to figure out if that person and I can come to the understanding of whether or not we're going to love God, love our neighbor, and love our enemy. If we're doing those things, I don't really care what you call the person in your church, right? That's a, that's a different discussion for another time. It's just, it's not on the table for me right now. It's just hard enough for me to figure out how to love God, love my neighbor, and love my enemy today. And that's what I'm working on. It's
0: tough. It's tough. I, let me say one thing, that, we, that I thought that your explanation of Jesus' act and God's acts as grace were interesting, and I thought there's even one that precedes mm. both of those, which is creation. Absolutely. That is, if God yes. wanted us mm-hmm. to exist, then that's an act of grace.
1: Yes, yes.
0: But still, it's also the biggest act of torture, considering that we all <laughs> exist and we have to make do with what we don't have and try to have a scramble for sustenance and that Wild beasts, whether they're human or animal, take over the world a lot. So we have a lot of problems. Right. So the grace is that we get to exist at all. Yeah. And the problems we have to exist in this so incomplete form.
1: And we exist at all, but we exist made in God's image. And therefore, we get to be God's image bearers in this world, also then doing what God does. In our limited human capacity, right? But if God calls forth light, then we get to call forth light. If God tends the garden, then we get to tend the garden. If God cares for creation, we care for creation. So there's so much of God creates. If God creates, we we create. create. Which is the first command. Be fruitful and multiply, right? There's so much in all of that. math
0: is so important. (laughs) Right?
1: There's so much in all of that that I think drives us to our hope and our purpose in this world. And all of that is grace. And even if we decided that there was some sort of level of um, an expectation or some system in place that we needed to meet these expectations in order to be in God's presence, that's still grace. Because God doesn't have to set up a system. God doesn't have to set up a way for us to be, to draw near. God doesn't have to set up a sacrificial system. God doesn't have to um, hover on the box on the lid of a box in the middle of the desert, right? God doesn't need to do any of these things. I
0: wasn't quite sure what you were talking about. Right,
1: but God's presence okay, is there, yeah, right? Yeah. Or can be found there. I mean, God's everywhere, but but God doesn't have to do that. God doesn't have to make God's self accessible to God's people, but God does. And in all of these ways that we have, that the, that our narrative gives us, if you've hurt somebody, here's how to restore shalom into that relationship. If you've harmed God, here's how to restore shalom into that relationship. All of that's grace to me. And that's good. And it was good. (laughs) Amen. (laughs)
0: Amen.